Welcome to the Taking the Lead podcast, where we empower people to be unstoppable. I'm Christina Hepner with my co-hosts, Leslie Hoskins and Timothy Cuneo. All right, this past weekend, I um, have had this plan for a while. I did a 5K for the Arthritis Foundation. Um, I've talked about it a little bit on the podcast before because I have rheumatoid arthritis. And so um, they do this Jingle Bell 5K. I had signed up months ago. My whole family signed up. And of course, it was under 20 degrees in the morning. (laughs) So I ran a 5K in like 20 degree weather with snow and ice on the ground. And honestly, it was very hard. But like I did all right for having to run on ice. Did you wear what like yak tracks? That's what we wear when we're out working with O and M clients. Nope. You just because, wore tennis shoes. Well, because they said that the track would be like cleared off. Yeah. Um, it was not. That's so, scary. Yeah. That's scary. Um, but like where it was icy was uphill, so it actually kind of helped like a little bit because you weren't like sliding; you were like gripping onto it. If that makes any sense, it doesn't. It feels like it'd be okay. the opposite. Well, it was nobody <laughs> fell. That's nobody good. fell, which is great. I mean, some people finished real fast. I mean, I had like a twenty-eight time, which I thought was. I'm not a runner, so I thought that was all right. You know, for my first five k since having like knee surgery a few years ago, so I was like, all right, I'll take it. So nice did you all run together, you and your family, or did you leave no, each other in the so desk? No, so I did the timed 5K, and then they did the fun run. So that was only a mile and a half. Um, and they that one you walk or you run, and I think, like, my parents kind of walked, jogged, and then my sister and my brother-in-law um, jogged that one. So I like yeah. the sounds of walking, no running. <laughs> it, would take right? me three, it would take me an hour to run 5Ks. So. I had so many layers on you guys. I had like two pairs of pants, two pairs of socks, three shirts and a jacket, like gloves, earmuffs. So while you were doing this out in the freezing <laughs> cold, my husband was getting our fireplace up and running and we were just cozied on up in our house. We put up our Christmas decorations, got the tree up, just all snuggly warm. But that sounds great, too. You know, we choose a different <laughs> yeah. path. <laughs> Very different path for our weekends. <laughs> Timothy, what did you do this weekend? All I did was watch football. Oh, what a weekend in college football it was. Let me tell you, it was upset weekend, and my team won. And so it was, I stayed I stayed warm underneath the blanket with a cat beside me and a dog beside me. So it was a great weekend just to watch football. Timothy, what was the weather down there in Georgia? I'm just curious. Well, it, this morning it's 28 degrees. Okay, so, so it is cold. It's cold down here, but it's supposed to be 68 on <sighs> Thanksgiving. So well, uh, looking forward to that. <laughs> that will be nice. We got snow yeah. here. Yeah, We didn't get as much as the west side of the state, but the west no. side of the state, my um, brother and sister-in-law and nieces live over there, and they got like over a foot of snow. Yeah. They just kept sending photos, and we're like, what in the heck? Well, <laughs> crazy. at least you don't live in Buffalo. I heard some places in Canada had yeah. 80 inches. Not 80 nuts. inches. Oh. Christina's just, just still out there running. She's just, <laughs> we'll just like, see yeah. a path. You'll see me running through the snow. <laughs> just an imprint of her body. Hey, I mean, I am running our leader dog event, the Frozen Paul 5K, in January. So good for you. Yeah. I'll be at the end with some hot chocolate. Thank you. I'll be <laughs> sitting on my couch as you're running. So you go for it. I like it. We each yeah. choose a different path. 
Timothy and I a little bit more relaxed and laid back. Christina's on the go <laughs> all the time. Well, she's 30, so she I, can do Oh, that. my gosh, right? She's so young. <laughs> I told her, I referred to Christina and I as the same age the other day. And I was like, are you joking? And she was like, excuse me? And I'm like, you're in the you're in the box, right? Like, for, you check the box from, like, you're in your 20s or you're in your 30s or you're in your 40s. Christina is now in her 30s with me. Yeah, but I was like, wait a minute. Are you trying to age me? Oh, my goodness. I'm only five years older. I know, I know. I'm just joking. I just think it's funny. Unbelievable. Check the box, Christina. You got to move on. All right, fine. (laughs) So exciting. Well, today we are really excited because we have a wonderful guest on to share about his experience. He is a veteran in the U.S. Army, and we're so delighted to have him here today. Yes, Cliff grew up in Versailles, Kentucky, and joined the Army right out of high school in 2003. He was in the military police and protected services and served in Iraq for over a year. He protected General Casey, Donald Rumsfeld, Condoleezza Rice, and the Prime Minister during his time overseas. Cliff returned to the U.S. in July of 2006 and slowly began losing his vision. He received services through the VA and connected with the leader dog earlier this year. Cliff, thank you for your service. Yes, Cliff, thank you for your service. And uh, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself outside the military and why did you join the military? Absolutely. First of all, thank you guys for having me. It's a pleasure and honor to be on here with you today. Um, Yeah, so uh, growing up, I was, I had, perfect eyesight didn't I didn't have any medical problems like at all so um I played sports year-round in high school um I was really on the fence about whether or not I was going to try and play sports in college or if I was going to just go ahead and join the military because again that was something that I had always wanted to do as well um, and my dad is a huge, well, was a huge military buff. So we grew up in a military-friendly home. And anytime we saw a veteran or anyone out, um, we always thanked them for their service. And so, you know, growing up like that with that amount of respect for other veterans, I was like, man, you know, I think I might actually join the military instead of going play in sports in college because that was a real – a dream of mine as well, but I also had the opportunity to do that. But then 9-11 obviously happened. Um, and I was, I was actually in shop class when that happened, uh, my, uh, junior year of high school. And when that happened, my whole family's Marines, except for me, I'm the only one that joined the army. My great grandfather was in the army and he transferred into the Marine Corps. So I'm like the only one. So holidays are fun. They get to pick at me and everything. So that's all good. Um, but so I was like, yeah, I'm definitely joining. I told my mom, I told my dad, I was like, hey, I'm, I'm joining. And my mom goes and grabs the boxes, like scholarships and stuff. And she's like, you're just going to throw this away. And I said, mom, that's what I want to do. I was like, will you guys sign for me to, you know, to enlist early? And they're like, absolutely not. You know, you're going to, you're, you're going to think about this the rest of the time you're in hospital. And I was like, okay. So the day I turned 18, <laughs> I, uh, I skipped high school and went and joined the military. And then I came back early to the house and the dad was like, what are you doing home so early? And I threw down the packet <laughs> and he was like, oh no, 
He's like, you're telling your mama. I ain't telling her. And I was like, well, I don't want to tell her. He's like, well, you're the one to join. You have to. And I was like, all right. But my dad always had this saying for me, too. He said that, um, he said, boy, you sure are getting smart by being stupid. <laughs> and uh, so, so that, that's, that's kind of my motto, really. I mean, I guess. I mean, everybody that sees me, like, man, what'd you do that for? I'm like, well, I've never done it before. I wanted to just do what it felt like. And they're like, there's something wrong with you, man. Like, I can't help it. I got to see what it's all about. I'm not going to knock it until I try it. So, yeah. But I, 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 I enlisted in the military police because I, I, I always wanted to be a police officer, too. Um, it was funny yeah. because when I was in high school, I actually did an explorer program with the fire department. Oh, they had very one cool. For the, for the police department and one for the fire department. Yeah. So and Cliff- even though I wanted to be. Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just saying, you know, you you went into the military. You went to be military police. Um, you know, in your bio, we mentioned some of those big names of people that you were responsible yeah. for keeping safe. So how did that yeah. even happen? How did you get into that um, oh. position? It's a long story, but um, we, we were coming up time for an employment, uh, for a deployment, and we didn't really know what was going on yet. And I got a phone call from my platoon sergeant and he says, what are you doing? I said, I'm just having a drink, watching some, watching some sports. And he said, Oh, he said, well, I got got a question for you. And I said, sure. He said, do you want to volunteer to go to Iraq or do you want to be selected? (laughs) And I was like, well, I guess I'll volunteer if if that's my options. And uh, so I volunteered for that. And then they actually, we were in the middle of doing our uh, training for our deployment. And then we got the phone call saying, Hey, this is what you guys are doing. You're going to go to protective services school. And then when you graduate there, we're going to um, start putting you in slots overseas to protect uh, any VIP military or civilian. And uh, so we were like, Oh, cool. You know, we always heard about protective services school being in military police. But ever, all of our instructors and everybody was like, don't even try and look over the fence. You're never going to get to do that ever. They said, you know, we've been trying for years and years to get in. And I just happened to be, I just got lucky with that, with being in protective services. Um, so we had about a hundred people, about a hundred and some uh, soldiers. And they, they ended up taking 32 of us. Um, wow. And then we went ahead and we did really well in protective services school. And then they said, Hey, you know, you guys have done really well. We, we put some good words in for you. Your first, your first VIP is you're going to be protecting the command in general of the Iraq war. And we're like, say what now? Are you serious? <laughs> and they're like, oh yeah. And we're like a four star. Yeah. I'm like, oh yeah. Yeah. And I was like, man, four star right off the bat. Like not even a Clip. full bar colonel yeah. or oh, goodness. So I was pretty nervous. I was, oh, I was super nervous. Um, but I already had like my EMT certification and stuff from that Explorer program I was talking about. So when we, we had to go do verbal interviews with, with him one-on-one and then they sent us back to Kuwait cause we were still climatizing is what they would call it. And, uh, was just trying to get used to sweating all the time. That's a lot. Um, Cliff. But, that's, oh gosh. That's incredible. So we went, yeah. So he, yeah, so that's a journey. Like, you know, we'll look, yeah, we'll let you know the next day. And the next day I found out that I was going to be the alternate shift leader for him. 
and the the PSO is the guy that's like always like right behind that VIP you see on, on TV all the time with a celebrity or the president or anything like that. I have already started thinking about my holiday shopping and one thing on my list is getting gifts from Leader Dogs for the Blind gift shop. That's great and guess what you're in luck because for the month of November and December if you use code taking the lead you'll get free shipping. But remember, you can only use one code per order. This is amazing news. I am heading to leaderdog.org and clicking shop right now. This is all really interesting and there's so much going on. And I know you could talk forever about all of this, which is incredible. And I think it's so honorable how you joined the military and like what a big decision you had. You know, did you want to play sports in college or did you want to kind of take this route? And then, you know, you mentioned 9-11 really was a huge impact for you in making that decision. So first of all, again, thank you for your time and your service in the military. I'm curious, can you tell us a little bit about, so you were overseas and you said you didn't have any medical issues or anything like that going into it. How did then you lose your vision? Was there something that happened while you were over there or was that when you returned back to the U.S.? Yeah, so I was in what they call a hard landing in a helicopter. We, were, we always flew doors open because um, we had to get out and catch up with the boss man super quick. So we always flew, flew doors open. Um, I was strapped in. We're like, hey, we're getting ready to do a, We're going to do a touch and go. We're going to touch. You get out and just all but try and catch him and so as we were coming down they just lost control a little bit and I was already stepping out as the helicopter slammed into the ground so it kind of like made me do I was like in a, a human accordion and then it just kind of shot me shot me straight out and I just tumbled and tumbled and tumbled and it knocked me out and um, I didn't really notice any like major problems at first with it either um, but, um, so I went to the doctor there, um, the little tent they had set up and he's like, Oh, you just got your bell wrong. You're okay. And he taps me on the back of the head. And I'm You're like, good to go. I got, I got a headache. What was that for? You know, don't do that. And uh, he's like, no, you're good. Here's some pain medication. Here's some muscle relaxers and I'm going to drain, drain your leg. And I said, okay. And yeah, I was like, so I'm good to go. He's like, you're good to go. I get back to my detachment and they said, Hey, you know, we're going to put you on light duty for a couple of weeks. So instead of being, instead of protecting the commanding general, I was driving him everywhere. And I was like, I hate this. <laughs> and cause I was in five to six different cities a day usually. Yeah. And so I was used to being on the move and it was just so slow and I was so boring. It was so boring. <laughs> and, uh, but luckily he did not like me as a driver. So that worked out really well. So then while you're continuing your tour there, did you have any vision problems or everything was good until you kind of returned? You know, I did, but I I didn't put two and two together because I kept when I kept going back for my follow-ups, the doctor kept saying, you're good, you're good. Well, when I was driving the commander general, I would, I would hit like a sandbag or something every once in a while. And I'm like, where the heck was that even at? And they're like, dude, it was right in front of you. Wow. And I was like, I did not see that. And then, so we were backing out of this facility one day and there was like, it was like a zigzag. You had to back up in a zigzag. It had, you know, formations of sandbags and rocks. And so I made it all the way through. And at the very end, it was the lower part again. And I hit it and I was like, man, I backed all the way out and hit that little bitty thing. I didn't even see it. 
So I got into it with the commanding general's aide, and we had some words, and then he made me drive in reverse for um, three hours one day. Oh, and, my gosh. Oh and my. I did fine with it because, you know, the big concrete sea <sighs> barriers for, like, road construction and stuff like that. Well, those were high enough to where I could see it. So I still didn't think anything of the other stuff. So I just drove in reverse for three hours, and he's like, okay, you're good. Oh and then we go back out, and I hit another sandbag. Oh I hit gosh. another one. So you were starting to notice a few little things, like this is getting kind of weird. Why are these things popping out? I'm not noticing them. So bring us back. Then you get home to the U.S. What happens there? We just kind of want to hear a little bit about how you found out about your vision loss, and then, like, what was the progression? Where did you receive services? How did you get involved in all of that? Okay. Um, yeah, so... I get back and, you know, we have to do our post-deployment physicals. And so the doctor looks me over and he was like, he's like, you know, you have a couple fractures in your legs, right? And I was like, no, I didn't know that. And he said, well, he said, um, how often does your knee look like that? And I was like, well, it does it all the time. It kind of slips in and out. Um, so I, I, I totally failed my physical. And then I went for the eyesight part of it. My eyesight was still perfect. My eyes are totally healthy. There's nothing wrong with my eyes at all. But from the TBI, it um, messed with, well, I guess the, um, oh, no. Your optic nerve. I can't nerve. think of the, thank you, the optic nerve, yes. And um, so they're like, hey, if you're going to get your vision back, it's going to be within three months. Three months happened, nothing. And, I, and over the course of this time, I kept tripping and falling over stuff. And so I had just the very bottom part of my vision gone. That was it. And so I was adapting to it and, you know, doing some services and stuff through the VA to help with that, with the VISP coordinator. And then I um, moved into the other house and I tripped over a dog gate that I didn't see. And when I did that, I flipped over the rail into the basement and I fell all the way down, smacked my face right on the concrete. Um, I couldn't figure out how to use my phone. Um, and then luckily, you know, I just did, um, if you hit it hard enough, it actually called for you. And so, um, I was trying, I was trying to figure all that out. Mom, my, uh, my ex-mother-in-law, she's, um, she's, we're still really good friends. She, she's my primary caretaker. She came over and, and was like, you know, found me and she's like, oh my God. So she threw me in the car. I don't remember the car ride or nothing. And then after that point, they once I kind of came to, I was like, hey, I was like, when can you take this crap off my face? And they're like, what are you talking about? And I was like, you know, I can't see you guys. I want to take this off my face. And they said, there's nothing on your face. And I said, there's nothing covering my eyes. And I was trying to touch them. And they're like, there's nothing there. And I was like, oh, no. And so I stood up real quick and started panicking immediately. Yeah. And I was like, oh, no, this is not good. And I was like, is this going to come back? And they said, we don't think so. Wow. And uh, so I go to Birmingham from there. The Lexington VA sends me to Birmingham. And Birmingham is actually where I, where I met my, my brother, Barry <laughs> Stafford. Everybody thinks everybody thought we were brothers. We're, we're really good friends. He calls me PJ. And uh and Barry but, Stafford, um, just for our listeners, is a certified orientation and mobility specialist who at that time was working at the, the Birmingham VA. Yep. And so I was lucky enough to get him. And I could still have, still had, you know, that upper part of my vision. 
And so they gave me these prisms, and I was kind of playing around with them. And I was like, oh, you got beards like I do. And he was like, oh, yeah. And uh, so everywhere we went, everybody was like, where's your brother? Where's your brother? Where's your brother? Yes. And like the local businesses and stuff. But yeah, so he was my O&L instructor, and he was he was fantastic. Yeah. Um, we had a ball together. He's he's made me pins and necklaces type stuff out of 554, all sorts of stuff. That's and, you know, amazing. Of course I'll make stuff too. But we've kept in contact this whole time. So Cliff, when you decided to get a dog from Leader Dog, did you go on campus or did you have a home delivery? I had a home delivery, which was great for me. Um, I have severe PTSD as well um, from service and. Um, there was four years I didn't leave my house. Um, so, you know, it, it really affected me a lot. And because my previous service dog had passed away, he was a psychiatric service dog. Um, and he made things better. You know, I could go out and do some things, not a whole lot. Can't be around kids. Kids, kids make me get really sick. I'd start vomiting and all sorts of stuff, but it's nasty um, just from some stuff that happened overseas. And so it's hard for me to get out, but you know, once I, once they, so Jessica came here, Jessica Bimmerman, she was my, um, instructor. I call her my drill instructor. She, <laughs> she drilled, she, 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 she had me doing all sorts of drills and cadences, cadences. No, I'm just messing with you. She's great. She is um, great. she, she's so much fun. And I told Barry, I said, yeah, I think, uh, Jessica's coming. And he was like, Oh dude, that's perfect for you. <laughs> And I was like, yeah. And he was like, yeah, it's perfect, man. I was like, okay. So, and we, we got along from the minute she came in, she was wonderful. She was super nice, super knowledgeable. Um, she had actually worked with, you know, other dogs in the past for other reasons. And, mm-hmm. and I was telling her about my other service dog. And so we, um, we did it in our, in my environment. And she said, I want to see, I want to, I want to go places that you normally go to. And I want to go places that you haven't gone to because you haven't had the confidence to do so. And so we did that, and my confidence just kept building and building. I was very surprised. And Sven was amazing. He, through the whole thing, he was like, hey, you can't go that way. We're going this way. <laughs> and I'm like, I want to go this way. And he's like, we can't do that. <laughs> so it was pretty cool. I mean, we, me and Sven, it took us by the second to third day, we were pretty close. And um, I called Jessica and I said, Jessica, I'm having some PTSD problems. You know, I'm really, I'm having anxiety attacks. I'm having intrusive thoughts. You know, I'm really struggling. And so when I did that, Sven came over to me and held my legs and would not leave me. And so when she got there, she's like, oh my God. She's like, how long have you been doing that? I said, ever since I got worked up, he will not leave me. And she's like, are you serious? And I said, I'm serious. Watch. And I got up and I moved and he followed right over to me. And then um, he got on my legs again and wrapped his legs around my legs and then put his head on my feet. And he just kept doing that. And he hadn't done that before. Oh. And, and so now when I have anxiety problems and stuff like that, that's what he does. And it, so isn't that crazy? Like, oh, yeah. You know, that's... Amazing. Not leaving to in hear. four years to getting out and doing kind of whatever I wanted, really. Yeah, Cliff, that is amazing to hear. And it's crazy because yeah. sometimes our dogs, you know, our dogs are not trained that way. They're not trained to do those things, but you can really show that the connection um, 
our dogs can have with their human is just unparalleled. It's amazing to hear that. And I know we're getting really close to the end of our time because I know we could probably talk for hours. Oh, but gosh. I could go and go. <laughs> <laughs> is there any last um, things that you want to say about having, you know, your first guide dog? You guys haven't been together even for that long, really. What is, well, you know, you had such that instant connection in the beginning. What's it like right now to be out and doing things together? It's very bizarre. Like, I haven't really totally came around to it yet. Like, it, you know, like just in shock. Um, like, I, I went to a fundraiser for a leader dog um, with the Lions Club, and I went and spoke there, gave a speech there and everything. And uh, I, there's no way that I would have been there if I hadn't had Finn. There's no way. I would have never done it. Um, cause I did, I don't do crowds at all. And I was totally, I was totally fine with him there. There was nothing, nothing went wrong. Everything went great. I made it like a whole little stand up comedy spiel and you know, <laughs> everybody thought it was good. So that was good. They did. Cause then I was immediately getting emails like, Hey, can you, can somebody collect, uh, connect me with Cliff? I want him to join me here. I want him to do this. So you obviously did a great job at sharing your story. Um, and of course the leader yeah. dog mission too. So thank you for that. Yeah. As well as thank you for your service. Honestly, your story is incredible. Um, And I'm so happy that you found Barry and then Jessica, two amazing leader dog team members that we are so fortunate to have as well. So thank you again for everything. Thank you for joining us today. We certainly appreciate it. Well, hey, I appreciate you guys and everything that you do and getting the word out. And uh, my life will never be the same now in in, in a good way. Um, I, I look forward to some things that I haven't done before, which, you know, looking forward to something isn't something I normally do. So mm. it's just, even just that is amazing. So I'm super grateful for everything that you guys do. And thank you so much to our listeners for listening to the Taking the Lead podcast. I'm Leslie Hoskins with host Timothy Cuno and Christina Hepner. We hope you enjoyed learning about Cliff's experiences. Please join us next week as we continue to dive into the world of blindness. And if you'd like to learn more about applying to our to Leader Dog for our free services, you can head to leaderdog.org or call us at 888-777-5332. And don't forget, you can reach us at takingthelead@leaderdog.org with any questions or ideas. If you like today's podcast, make sure to hit subscribe and check us out wherever podcasts stream.